0: right. What a great uh, program broadcast uh, that we have for you today. It's really more of a show than anything else. Uh, Broadcast program show? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Broadcast programming show, yeah. So anyway, we've got a great one for you on tap today. Um, One of the biggest races in the Senate we talk about today. uh, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin who's going up against Mandela Barnes. Kind of a uh, defund the police mm-hmm. candidate mm-hmm. Uh, very yeah, it's close interesting race interesting that the first thing Stu brings up is race isn't it I, isn't it when did I say anything you about race you said one of the biggest races that's happening oh yeah, yeah so, okay. I, mean, I guess it did once again in that way I did up, what a racist what a racist <laughs> he does it every election season I want to talk about race uh, anyway um, <laughs> we have that we also have Carol Roth in today she is uh, she's amazing on the economy I gave her a Titanic scenario, and you'll have to hear how she responded to it. All that. Oh, and the gig economy. Yeah, the Labor Department has decided, eh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Oh, good, good. All this and more on today's podcast. Brought to you by Relief Factor. If you're one of the millions of Americans who suffer every day from pain, (laughs) listen up. There is hope for you. You did actually move without going, ow, ow, ow. You know, I can't get myself to stop saying that out loud. Have you found that, Stu? I used to be able to. Mm-hmm. Now it's just like, I move, you know, you pick up a pencil and you're like, ow, ow. Yeah. ow. Mm-hmm. Sad. It's, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. It's very sad. Could be that I am shaped a little like a muffin, but not sure. Um, anyway, you can take relief factor and stop saying, ow. They say muffins, too, because you are what you eat. Anyway, it's not a drug. It was developed by doctors, so you're not going to be spaced out. It attacks inflammation, which is uh, the biggest problem uh, causing uh, for pain and also disease, too. Inflammation is very bad for us. This reduces this uh, in your body in a natural way. Go to ReliefFactor.com. That's ReliefFactor.com. Here's the podcast.
1: You're listening to the best
0: of the Glenn Beck program. So, yesterday, if you remember, um, my head was going to explode because uh, why are we allowing California to dictate everything to the rest of the nation? Okay, remember? I'm like, let them stand on their end. They want to do that. Fine, let them feel the full consequence. Why are they dragging us along with it? Okay, yeah. <clears throat> Today, my question is this. Why do we keep listening to the same people who got us into this situation? Why are we listening to them? Here's Janet Yellen from yesterday on our economy.
2: Um, We still see the impact of... Uh, COVID in China and the slowdown in Chinese growth and um, with high inflation and tightening monetary policy Mm -hmm. in many advanced countries, um, emerging markets from really all of these factors are Mm -hmm. suffering Mm -hmm. um, many stresses. So there's a lot to talk about. But from the perspective of the United States, I think the United States is doing
0: very well. Wow. We're doing very well. Other countries have high inflation, tight money. Their central banks are tightening the money supply, which is driving interest rates up, and uh, they're having supply problems. But us? No, I think we're doing really... Why are we listening to her? Why are we listening? Now, let's go to the genius that's actually behind the wheel, driving this car over the cliff, our president. What does he think about what's coming economically? Should the American people prepare for a recession?
1: No. Look, no. they've been saying this <sighs> now, How every, every six months they say this. Mm-hmm. Every six months they look down, the next six months and see what's going to happen. It right, hadn't right. happened yet. It hadn't, there, yes, there, has, there, there is no, really? there's no guarantee that they're going to be recession. I don't think there will be a recession.
0: If okay. there is, there will be a very slight recession. That is, we'll oh, move okay. down slightly. Okay. All right. Now, maybe perhaps I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe because there is one industry that is has just I mean, has has made so much money, hand over fist. It is such a growing industry that maybe he's thinking, well, you know, GDP is affected by the uh, uh, by the fentanyl and human trafficking industry. Uh, Jobs are I mean, it's not hard to find a job there. You're willing to human traffic people. Because of the border, don't worry. If you're an Eastern European hooker, his son has really helped keep that economy going. (laughs) Right, right, right. But just because this, according to Department of Homeland Security, just because of what we've done on the border, there has only been a 500% increase in human smuggling. Mm. Uh, So... You know, increase. That's I good, would, right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, up, up, up. America is really doing we're really. We're number one. Yeah. Now, well, I want to talk about those other countries that are having some problems, you know, with uh, loans becoming more expensive, uh, threatens you know, threatening jobs, trouble with their oil and gas prices, high uh, interest rates and high inflation. Unlike us. Unlike us. We're good. But let me talk about those countries. Top diplomat in the European Union ambassador's annual conference said that Europe has been decoupled due to multiple black swan events. <clears throat> it says that can no longer count on Russia for cheap gas and oil. China, they were depending on cheap goods and the United States. They've depended on the United States for security. And now they've lost all three. And uh, you know now they're gonna have to completely reimagine, uh-huh, completely reimagine how Europe is put together because it's broken and they're not going to be able to do anything about it. They just have to reimagine how everything works. Uh, and they're looking now at an era of volatility, which is great. But you know the thing I really liked is um, he said you know, United States and Europe had a fantastic relationship and we were cooperating a lot uh, and that situation might change now but I mean I I'm quoting but I urge you to think what would have happened if instead of Joe Biden this would have happened with Donald Trump or someone like him in the White House <clears throat> It wouldn't happen with him in the White House. He was warning you of these things, and you laughed at him. But don't worry about it, Um, because we're fine, according to Janet. We're doing really—I think we're on the upswing. We're doing really, really well. Now, um, let's see. I just want to count the enemies here. we're, We're in a proxy war with Russia, right? Um, we're we're fighting with uh Ukraine, which I think we're really all we're doing is laundering money through Ukraine um we haven't made China too happy lately um but we also have had a very long ally uh Saudi Arabia, which I don't want to be tied to. And Donald Trump was fixing that. but then our our uh, president, he got a little spicy with the, uh, with the uh, sultan or the prince over there and and said, you know, this guy's a thug and a criminal and uh, he has no place at the table and I'm going to take care of him when I get in. So now uh, the, um, uh, the president went over and he said, hey, can you guys uh, maybe up the, you know, and they agreed as he left, they agreed to 200,000 barrels, which is nothing. 200,000 barrels. And then... The White House wrote a missive to the prince and said, you, you just broke your word to uh, the president. What are you doing? You said 200. Now you're going to reduce it to 100. And uh, that kind of pissed the, pi- uh, the prince off. And so he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to reduce it even more than that. OK, so they went. The people who were there at the meeting said that he was asking for oil. And he was asking, you know, just can you just boost it up a bit? What's better is he was saying, and if you have to cut it, can you wait until after the election? That way he could, you know, convince everybody that we're on the move. Everything's good. And your gas prices are down. And then OPEC could uh, lower the production of oil. And then after you've made a decision on which side you trust to tell you the truth and to help you along... Then after the election, then he could say, oh my gosh, look at what these evil evil Saudis are doing. Okay? Now, the president has come out and said, we never even talked about oil. Really? You didn't? You didn't? Really? Huh. That's weird, because everybody who was in the meeting says you talked about oil. But no, 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 he didn't. And he also says, ridiculous that I said we were going to reevaluate our relationship if they didn't cut the oil. (laughs) Except... You know, after they cut the oil, the president was uh, on TV that very day saying, I think we need to reevaluate our relationship. So this is really good. Uh, Biden has now warned of consequences for Saudi Arabia. He vowed to hold Saudi Arabia accountable. Uh, He said, I'm not going to get into what I consider and what I have in mind, but there will be consequences. Good. Okay. Okay all right, okay, all right, well, you know, why not? Why not throw that log on the fire? Oh, by the way, the other reason Saudi Arabia is so pissed at us because of Joe Biden is because he's making a deal with their mortal enemy, Iran. So we got that going for us. So let's pick another fight there. Oh, 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 here's another fight we just picked, too. You're going to love this one. We have decided to stop all exports of our chips to China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the US Department of Commerce introduced sweeping rules aimed at cutting China off from obtaining or manufacturing key chips and components for supercomputers. <laughs> this is quoting is seen as a huge escalation, huge escalation in the tensions between Beijing and Washington. America argues that such advanced semiconductors can be used by China for advanced military capabilities. Don't you think so? Quoting the co-founder of the Center for Innovating the Future, there is no going back to the way things were. With the latest action, the chasm between the United States and China has now expanded to the point of no return. This is great. So by cutting off the chips, which I'm not arguing that they shouldn't have, we shouldn't be sending them stuff. But right now, you know, might be kind of a dicey time to do it. Uh, Now we're forcing them to have to take Taiwan because Taiwan is the maker of all of the most sophisticated chips In fact, I think they make 80% of the chips. So that's going to be really good if they march into Taiwan, because then guess who doesn't have any computer chips? (laughs) Yeah, us. Oh, this is good. Oh, by the way, last night also, Biden doubled down on the warning of nuclear Armageddon. Yesterday, he said it again, you know. Ah. I don't think Putin will use a nuclear weapon, but I mean, it could be nuclear Armageddon if he does. Oh, okay, that, that makes that makes it that makes it much more uh, acceptable and, and, and soothing really to hear that news. Oh, and they also announced yesterday that NATO is going to hold a nuclear deterrence exercise. Now, this is great. Have you ever heard of Operation Able Archer? This is a great story. Don't worry, it's in our past. Able Archer was something that we did every year, you know, right there on the border of Russia. We did it with NATO. It was a NATO nuclear deterrence test. And I'm going to take you way, way back to 1983. Um, Because what we did, we held this annual, every year we did it, annual exercise, um, and uh, we had 100,000 personnel over there, 16,000 of which were flown in from the United States, um, and the, exer- the exercise was to s- simulate, what are you going to do if somebody launches a nuke? Now, the Soviet Union knew this was just an exercise that we did every year, but Reagan had been a little spicy calling them a terrorist organization, saying that they were an evil empire. And so they no longer trusted the United States at all because they knew Ronald Reagan wanted them to collapse. So uh, what they did is they, um, they had these new things called computers and these computer programs who uh, started to track You know, they were there in Russia and they were very sophisticated. Russia had only the best computers and the best software programmers. And uh, and so as they were doing this, uh, what happened was uh, it looked like we had launched a bunch of missiles on their computers and they were convinced we launched a bunch of missiles. It wasn't just the computer. And uh, they had, during the whole operation, they had all of their planes out with 10-minute warnings, and they had loaded all of their missiles. They had also taken all of their missiles out of the protected shelters, opened up the blast doors. They were ready to launch. If it wasn't for the little red phone, hey, call me, we probably all would have been vaporized. But that has that maneuver, you know, the <laughs> where they're where they're just trying to just have a military, ex, you know, uh, exercise, you know, that that is just to see what we would do if the Soviet Union would launch a nuclear deterrent. You know, what would our deterrent be? What do we do? You know, NATO got together. We did it every year. We haven't done it in a long time. But NATO has decided with the United States. Now is the time to try that again. You know, because the trust is so high. These people are going to get us killed. Ever been in a situation like, I don't know, you're, you're driving, uh, incredible, alcohol, and it's like, no, I, I got it. And he's swerving all around the road, and you're like, good God, we're going to die. No, it's fine. I drive all the time and I'm not drunk. Okay. That's when somebody says, stop the car. No, what are you talking about? We're almost home. 20 minutes will be there. Stop the car. I'm either driving or I'm getting out. (laughs) Yeah, I wish we could get out, but we can't. What we can do is elect a new driver, you know, one that shouldn't have his license taken away. What do you say we do that, kids, in just a few weeks? Hmm? We vote because all of his drunk friends are in the car, too, going, hey, shut up. He's fine. He's totally fine. Aren't you questioning? Do you see what's happening? He's totally fine. Leave him alone. Let's get the friends out of the car. So then we can actually talk to the driver and see, hey, can you walk a straight line, dude? Because you're going to get us all killed. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome, Congresswoman Beth Van Dyne. How are you?
2: I'm good. Good I'm to good. see you. It's good to see you, uh, too. It's you know, I was singing while. about
0: you the other day, and I thought, oh, she doesn't call, she doesn't write, but we'll always have Clock Boy. <laughs> oh, we'll always have Clock you're Boy. You're right down the street. I can come by any time <laughs> when know, I'm home. I know, I know. Uh, how are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. good. You know, it's been it's been 20 months now since I've been in, in office, and I it, think it's probably the most unique freshman experience ever. I got sworn in January 3rd, right? Uh-huh. Then we had January 6th happen. Then we had um, impeachment vote. After that, we were in a time of COVID, where we were separated, you know, physical distance, and then we all had to wear masks. Um, it has been it has been a divisive time in Congress, as well as the rest of the country. Do but you, it's been
0: a wild twenty months. You know, I was watching uh, Parliament the other day because I'm a complete geek, and I'm watching Parliament, and they're like, order order, and they're just yelling at each other. And I used to hate that, but it, what I watched it this time, and I thought at least they're debating. Yeah. I don't ever see anything where the chamber is full yeah. and you're actually debating stuff. It's usually just somebody standing in front of a chart giving a speech to no one in the chamber. Is is that accurate? That
2: is absolutely accurate. And you know, I don't know how much of this is COVID related because I've got members on the other side of the aisle who have not been there since the since COVID started. So we have been voting by proxy. We have That's been having committee votes. We have been having committee meetings by Zoom, um, and they just haven't. They have their offices closed. Their their staff doesn't come in. They don't meet with with folks in D.C. Um, you know, when they have when they have their constituents come to D.C., they're not there.
0: Wow. So, how bad is the disconnect between what you hear from constituents? Yeah. And what you hear from the political people in Washington D.C. It
2: is really disconnected. Um, when I am in the district, we've had over hundred roundtables and business tours. We've gone out. I mean, that's been that's my job is to go out and find out what people here want me to be saying in D.C., how they want to be represented, what their priorities and concerns and their issues, and what scares them, and,
0: and what they want you're...
2: me to do about. That's why they want me there,
0: right? And that's why you uh, Congress has such a short period. You're running.
2: Every Pretty two Pretty much years. all the time. All the time. Because yeah. you,
0: you've got two years, your term is two years, you're in and out, and that mm-hmm. was made by our founders. On purpose. On purpose. To so make you sure were... you
2: stay connected with exactly your constituents. Right. And exactly right. What I'm hearing is, you know, economy, number one. Um, people are really upset that their paychecks are so much smaller now. They might be getting more per hour more, but yeah. when we look at and take into account inflation, You know, if you do the math, eight point three percent, which let's face it, it's higher than that, but let's just go with a eight point three percent. Right. You know, for 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 argument's sake. But eight point three percent is basically like taking an entire month's paycheck and burning it. When you do the math and you think about that, so everybody is 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 taking one paycheck. Democrats have basically burned from everybody's wallet. Um, they're affected by that when you start looking at gas prices which or let's face it i know that the biden administration ke- keeps wanting to blame you know the russian war in ukraine
0: and now they're blaming the saudis
2: every month it was going up ever since this president took office and it's because of his policies inflation is because of their lack of fiduciary responsibility but again their policies spending like like crazy people trillions and trillions of dollars more than any other administration has ever spent in the first 20 months more debt than we've ever accumulated in our in our country's history. That's what people are talking about. They're upset about things like um, not having baby formula on the shelves. Still. 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 Yeah. There's upset That's really crazy. about the border. I mean, you, we're in Texas. You think about the border crime that we've got going down there. You think about the millions and millions of people that have entered our country illegally and how that affects our communities. The fentanyl. That this... This administration does not even have a plan, won't even admit that there's a problem. That is what people at home are talking about.
0: It is incredible to me that human trafficking is now a billion-dollar industry on our border. And nobody seems to care.
2: They said that it's gone from a mom-and-pop. When you talk to the people who are down the border, they said it's gone from a mom-and-pop operation to now, like, Coca-Cola. That it is that organized. It is that wide and expansive um and they're making billions of dollars
0: so what are the people in washington do do they really think the democrats that they are they've got a winning message or do they know they're in trouble
2: um so when you talk to folks one-on-one when the cameras aren't on on
0: uh-huh.
2: um, democrats will admit that they're in trouble that they will admit that that fiscally um that biden has not been um exactly what you consider responsible and that <laughs> people in their district are talking about it they will admit that not everybody will admit that but you know and they won't admit that publicly but yes they are they are hearing from their constituents just like we're hearing from ours and the arguments are the same but then they say that and then you look at the board at the end of a vote and you're like every democrat voted yes to spending more money to being more fiscally irresponsible to sending billions of dollars outside of our country to to hiring you know eighty seven thousand irs agents but ignoring that we even have um, um a right. border problem right so there's one thing that they'll say but there's something else that they vote and that's the most frustrating part because you know some of these folks i'm going to get given credit some of these folks really are smart when you talk to them and you just shake your head at their votes because it doesn't reflect in their votes that they've got you know, brain cell.
0: What do people in the district, when you're talking to the average person, what do they think about war and Putin and uh, all of that?
2: You know, this is something that Republicans had been warning for over a year, ever since our botched
0: (laughs) withdrawal from Afghanistan, right?
2: Mm -hmm. When we started talking about the lack of leadership there, how when you're allowing yeah. terrorists to basically control your foreign policy, what message that was sending out? Um, we, we, we said exactly what was going to happen. You are empowering folks in Russia. You are empowering, you know, on the, uh, the, the, uh, the government in China. So when Russia went and actually, you know, Putin went into Ukraine, I don't think it shocked many people. We knew that that was going to happen. China going looking... into Taiwan will probably be next oh again. Gosh. It is our foreign policy that dictates that
0: it's not only our foreign policy. It is the fact that this is the the worst track record. I, I and I mean this sincerely, this is not hyperbole. I'm not just throwing them out of the, this is sincere. I challenge anyone to show me somebody who has made more mistakes quote unquote, more mistakes than this guy and this administration, everything they have done works to the disadvantage of America. And I'm you know, you, you quickly get to the point to where you're like the, no one can the odds of being wrong and have it work
2: 100 percent of the time, Right, 100
0: percent of the time, not in our favor. It just doesn't have that. The odds are too astronomical. Well,
2: it depends what your goal is. Correct. And and you know are you wrong a hundred percent of the time? It depends what the goal is, you know. And I would argue that what's happening at the border, they're they're turning a blind eye because they don't want to actually have to face that exactly what they wanted to happen is happening. Um, they don't want to have to admit that if they go down there and they talk to people who work there. But we have had millions of people enter this country illegally. We have had um you know a a, a Democrat party who's wanting to have their own rule for votes on opening that voting rules up for the entire country with hr1 Mm -hmm. where they wanted to have people who entered our country illegally be able to vote they wanted to be able to have people who are 16 vote they wanted to not have um voter id so you think about that plan and you can start easily thinking well maybe their goal is to have millions of people come into this country illegally because they're hoping that they're going to vote for them and change the way that our country
0: looks you were just in asia were you not what are they saying about this is
2: this this is the scary part. You know, I know that I go home and I talk to my constituents, and they don't like what they see. But it's not just at home. Um, I was in South Korea for a week. I came home, and then I was in um, Cambodia and Singapore. All of these countries are v- drastically different from one another, but they all had the same message: the U.S. right now is void, and where there's a void of leadership, China is more than happy to be filling that void, and they are doing that on. Um, doing that every single day when you think about the rare earth minerals that they have oh, rights to around the world 75 percent of our earth's rare, rare minerals and our well, I believe policies we have, i
0: believe we have a lot of them up in alaska but you'll never get anybody to open those up
2: possibly yeah potentially you know the more that we um, rely on on electric vehicles yeah where those those minerals uh-huh. cobalt, lithium nickel are or controlled yeah. by China. Yeah. And that's where they, the the Democrats seem to be pushing our future. Like and whose benefit is though are those policies working? It's not US.
0: So we're back in uh studio with uh, a congresswoman who I just love. She has been in the fight. You were the mayor of this town when I first moved here, right? Yep.
2: 2011 to yeah. 2017.
0: And you have been in knockdown drag-out fights for really important things even as mayor i didn't know how you did it but uh, so i'm glad you're in congress you
2: helped helped. um
0: so so beth tell me um can they make a difference and will the republicans do anything
2: you know you're part of a team so i i i will play my individual part my 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 independent part which is um i I will continue to to fight i'll continue to do Say what I'm gonna do and then do what I say. Um, We have worked in the last 20 months, Republicans have worked on this commitment to America. Um, When I was out- This is
0: Kevin McCarthy's- uh, So,
2: yes. um, He announced it. So Kevin McCarthy, we we were all in, well, there's about 30 of us that were in Pittsburgh uh, a couple of weeks ago and we came out with the commitment. When I was in um, South Korea, I had lunch with Newt Gingrich. And he talked about the contract to America and how you need to tell the people what you stand for. It's one thing in the last 20 months, it seems we've been fighting against what mm-hmm. we've seen. But it's not good enough to just say you're going to fight. You also have to say, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so the commitment to America was basically, these are our priorities. So our priorities are America's priorities. We're looking at safety, what we've seen with crime. We've looked at what's going on at the border. We looked at accountability in government. The fact that we still have proxy voting. We're not getting together. We're not debating um, as a Congress. You've got Congress who are able to buy with insider information, stock trades. So holding those, those folks accountable, looking at our future. Seeing over the last several years how much freedoms that we have given up, Mm -hmm. making sure that we are looking at holding on to those freedoms, but also how much money we're spending. Are we going to have a, a future that is free? Are we going to have a future that our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids are going to be constantly paying down debt?
0: Oh, I, I And think- then
2: also looking at the economy. The fourth part of that is looking at the economy and making sure that we are fighting inflation. We are looking at policies that you know when you throw trillions of dollars into a system, don't be shocked when inflation goes up but making sure that we're protecting that economy and not demonizing our American businesses.
0: So you're watching what's happening with the banking sector right now. Yeah. Just, it, they are freaking out. out. They're freaking. Oh. They weren't freaking out before 2008. They were like, no, no problem here. And like, really? Um, they're freaking out and warning really bad things. Are, they're trying to get the fed to stop tightening. They're trying to get the fed to start printing more money. Um, and, uh, I have a feeling that's what we're going to get, um, because you're either going to stop the heart of the economy uh, trying to pull all of this back in, or you're going to keep printing and then we just die through you know, hyperinflation eventually. Do you believe we can pull this back? back together? I mean, that's a trick that's never been done before.
2: I think in 2008, it was easy to identify what had led up to that. I think looking at the the, um, the last couple of years under COVID, all the restrictions, how we pulled back, we did exactly a number of cases, exactly what we should not have done, the yeah, opposite of what yes. we should have done. Yes. We're now filling those ramifications, and by the way, those ramifications, especially in school kids, we're going to be filling for years. I believe we can get back there. I really do. We've seen what happens with one-party rule for two years. It has been a disaster for the country. I think we can walk and chew gum. I think we're going to have to govern. And governing on those those four major principles that we just talked about, but also having investigations is going to be important.
0: Are you are you going to rein in the the power of the presidency? Far as I mean, he's just doing edicts. I mean, if you guys have power and you won't pass anything that he wants, he'll just. It's
2: not just the president, but it's also the president's cabinet. And you know we have yes. we have said from day one on, uh, Mayorkas has got to go. Okay, Mayorkas is part of the problem. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that the man needs to be impeached. So, looking at the cabinet members and making sure that that if we have the Senate, that's going to be responsible for so, who those those yeah. folks are, that we are, we have people who will actually be up for the job. It's one thing to have the president be what MIA let's mm-hmm. let's just be nice and say he's MIA right. and a vice president who's MIA yeah but making sure that you've got cabinet members but also making sure that you're going after those those irregularities those um things that have happened in the past illegal yeah. that yeah. need to be addressed you a- need to make sure that people understand amen. that people are going to be held accountable
0: amen I hope that is the Biden family and Fauci uh, would be included in that um how do people get involved in your campaign if they want to help?
2: I'd love for them to go to um bethfortexas.com. Um we are we're running every day. We're also trying to help a bunch of other people across the country to make sure that we take back our country and we make make sure that we take back the majority. So we've got a lot of great candidates that are out there. Myra Flores, Esther Joy King, Jen Kiggins. Um these are f- uh, Jennifer Ruth Green is phenomenal. Help these people put, come over the, the 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 finish line.
0: bethfortexas.com. bethfortexas.com. As always, great to see you. Great to see you, too. Keep up the fight. Thank you. God bless. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Carol Roth is uh, in town. We have a kind of a financial kind of meeting or something today and you're in town for that and uh welcome as always carol
1: thanks it's fun to be in studio with you
0: so carol i just said to senator johnson from wisconsin that i feel like we're on the titanic and now we've hit the iceberg at full speed and i'm looking for a band to stop playing so people can go oh wait what just happened and it's time to get into the lifeboats because this thing's we we got we got to save what we can and the people we can because we're going to have a lot of rebuilding to do
1: yeah and it's the people who put us on course to hit the iceberg
0: wait 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 you don't you don't you don't agree with my analogy, do you? No,
1: I do agree. Oh. I'm, I'm very, very <laughs> I sorry. Like that. I know, I know, Come I know. You, you want me to to, look, to tell you that everything is going yeah, to be I'll okay. The we're going we to be on a mega yacht oh, instead of the God. Titanic, and it's just <laughs>
0: it's
1: just not the case. But it it is these people who said. Oh, that iceberg isn't there. No, we, we can totally maneuver our way around it. These are the people who said, No, no, okay, yeah, okay, so it was there and, and maybe we hit it, but you know, that that was some other reason we didn't you know, it wasn't actually there when we saw it. Um, but now we've got all of these great ideas on how to fix the economy. Oh my
0: gosh, and none of them are good ideas. Let me ask you this. If let's say you're the head of the treasury or you're the head of the Fed.
1: Lord help everyone, but yes. yeah. (laughs) I think we'd be better off. I think we'd be better off. Oh, you would be. You would be. (laughs) Even if it
0: was just me, you know what I mean? You'd be like, yeah, well, better than these clowns. Some guy off the street. Yeah, anybody off the street. You don't know what your name is. Come here. You're now the head of the Fed. Um, Let me, if you were the head of the Fed, and this is the iceberg part, how do you stop this from going down? Aren't because you have to raise interest rates traditionally to pull money back in? But these interest rates would have to be thirty percent easy, would don't you agree? To pull this kind of money back in, well, we were well, at twenty in Jimmy Carter.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Okay. So if, first of all, if I were Fed Chair, I'd blow up the entire Fed powers and I say we're gonna we're gonna. Put myself out of a job at some point in time. But in terms of the the problem at hand... um, Okay, so
0: wait, wait, let me give this so the audience understands. To suck... Inflation goes down when you suck money back out of the system. That's the theory, and that's the way it's always worked. Hang on, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) And the other problem is you can only make uh, interest rates go so high before it sucks the money out that is needed to run the economy. So... Half the country is saying, we got to have higher interest rates. The other half of the country is saying, no, we got to lower the interest rates. I don't know what to do, except I- just... Freeze.
1: So so let me put this in layman's terms. You're talking about this battle between inflation and putting us into a very deep recession. Not that we're not already in a recession, which some of the people like to pretend that we're not, but a very deep recession. And those two things are at odds with each other.
0: Borderline depression. I mean, depression really is kind of defined by the unemployment being very very high like right and the, over the and, and duration right the, yeah. the
1: length of, okay. of how deep and how long this goes But there's another factor in here, which is because we are the world reserve currency. It's something Uh called the Triffin dilemma. So not only domestically are we at odds, inflation versus recession, but on a global, uh, from a global standpoint, you're at odds. Do you make decisions for the benefit of the U.S., which I'm not sure that we can, but let's just pretend that maybe we can, or for the world because the world is on the precipice of a massive global recession that could cause all kinds of reverberations here. So this is the massive puzzle that these central planners, again, have created because they thought like, oh, we can figure this out, but they don't realize they aren't smart enough to figure out all these moving parts. So as Fed chair... I need to slow the Titanic down so that we can get people, as we talked about offline, into the lifeboats versus not crashing the into the iceberg because that's just not possible at this point in time.
0: It's not possible to save right. the Titanic.
1: Yeah. I, I personally don't think that it's possible. Everyone's just like, oh, there's a very narrow path. OK, well, the, the path Where? is like, you know, as narrow as like one of my hairs. Like right. there, there's no the, narrow path. So the, let's the, just be honest about the, it.
0: The The time to do something really was before 2008. Once we went down the path of bailing everybody out, this is the inevitable uh, outcome. And everybody, you know, at the Fed and all the experts and all the banking people, they all said, no, 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 you don't understand. And I kept saying to them, "Mm, I do understand. I don't think you're either telling the truth to yourself or you're you're you're. You're just a crazy man because you can't do this at the numbers that we're doing it.
1: Yeah, and the the thing is that not only should they have not done what they did then. They shouldn't have kept in place for as Correct. long as they have, Correct. and they shouldn't have doubled down. And that's the problem: is that we keep having these opportunities to go. Yes, we've made mistakes, and we're going to change course. No, we don't. But instead, everyone goes. No, I think this is fine. We're going to continue marching down, or or I'm not seeing the problem in the way that other people are anticipating seeing the problem. So since they're not recognizing it, we have some more room to just continue to continue on until they wake up and realize that it's a problem. Once you wake up and realize that the problem's there, then it becomes too late and we're in the situation that we're in today. So
0: Monday, I did a monologue on Credit Suisse and I said, you're going to see in two years because the Fed doesn't have to tell you anything for two years. But I guarantee you, we are sending our money over to credit Credit Suisse right now to do basically what we did in 2008. Save the bank that's too big to fail. Well, I don't know why they released this information, but last night I'm reading we spent three, we sent three. Trillion? How, how much did we say? I don't. I don't know, but I doubt it was three trillion. Yeah, I'll have to look it up. It's a, could you look that up? Look that That'd up for three trillion. Yeah, That would be staggering. Bad. It's a staggering, it's a staggering yeah. amount.
1: But let, let me tell you why they did that is because the the Swiss National Bank said that Credit Suisse is a systemically important bank. Correct. So of course that they are too big to fail we can't we you know we can't bail out the little guys we have to make sure that the big cronies are taken care of so of course somebody was going to come to the rescue and when you say somebody it's, it's always us. the us and it's not the us it's you and you and you and you yeah, us. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's literally us, us because it's our money or them printing money which devalues our money
0: so so isn't europe now in the place or soon going to be in the place that we were at in 2008
1: so there, it's, it's for a different reason. Um, right, right, right. But <laughs> but, right. but again, and this goes back to the Fed. So let's tie this all in a, a nice little bow. Because we have a dollar that is strong against other currencies. It's not strong when you go to the grocery store, but it is strong against these other Correct. currencies out there. I like to call it the skinniest kid at fat camp. Mm-hmm. It's not great, but it's, it's the best of, out of all of them. And because um, of the energy situation that they have all created, they're dependent. Yep on importing energy. Energy and to some extent food is priced in dollars, which means these countries need to access dollars in order to pay for these things. So they only have so many choices. It means they either continue to devalue their currency, they're going to have to spend more and more of their currency to buy dollars, or they sell dollar-denominated assets, like treasuries, in order to get the dollars to pay. And so this is a vicious cycle. When they do that, then the, the the yields go up, the dollar strengthens, and we end up in this crazy cycle again. And this is why it's so complicated. The Fed's decision isn't just inflation versus you know a deeper recession here in the US. It's literally potentially creating a global currency crisis. It's potentially creating... Liquidity in the treasury market and a crisis there. It's potentially, you know, it, all risk assets could end up just, you know, being sold in a massive fire sale. I mean, they have to think through all of those implications. And that's why if I were Fed chair right now, uh, where we started this, I would have to pause because I don't think that the Fed has the tools to combat inflation since their supply. Uh, generated anyway they can't print oil they can't print labor they don't have the tools so all they can do is crash demand and if they do they take the whole world down with them
0: okay well I think <laughs> I'm going home now uh, <laughs> um, all right uh, can you explain one thing um, I saw an article out of Europe and it said that because there are no investors because of ESG right. Um There's no investors in exploring for oil, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that we are headed towards price destruction, meaning nobody can afford to do anything. So nobody's going to be using gas um, and you're going to be staying at home. So the price of gas will fall through the floor. They think then the banks will have or any investors will have a call on their investment investment. And they won't have the money to be able to do it. So they're stuck in this same kind of trap where it's this vicious circle. Is that true? Is that right?
1: So um, there is a case to be made that, you know, as we... um, kind of go into a global recession, like a very deep global recession, that there will be demand destruction. But you have to remember that we just had OPEC plus decide to cut production 2 million barrels per day. So, and, you know, China is still kind of getting back and running, you know, in in terms of capacity. So I don't think that oil and and gas are going to go back up to the levels that, you know, perhaps we saw earlier this year. But the idea that it's all going to come crashing down, I mean, yes, Europe's, you know, stockpiled on gas, but it's like, a three-month stockpile. Like, what happens after that? This issue that we have with energy, this isn't like a month-long or a winter-long right. issue, and all of a sudden we're going to come out the other side and everything's going to be roses. There's massive underinvestment that's going to affect us for
0: years. Glenn. So it's, it's not just that you can turn this spigot back on. I, I know, you know, when you think of these big oil rigs that are out in the middle of the Gulf, those things are made here, a lot of them, But they have specialized parts that like one company makes. Those things are on leases for 10 years at least. So if it pulls up here and goes some other place, South America, that's leased. And you don't just build an oil rig like that overnight. We're talking years of restarting.
1: This sounds really familiar. It sounds like in 2020 when a bunch of people said, "Wait, you can't just turn off a third of the economy and then turn it back on whenever you want and there's going to be absolutely no dislocation." Ha, huh, that's weird. It's the same thing here. You're losing the the parts manufacturers, you're losing in the case of nuclear um you know, not a knowledge base, you know, specialized expertise. You cannot just flip the switch back on and there's no meaningful sort of rush towards investment because all of these companies believe that, you know, Whoever the next regime is, even if there's a friendly one in between, that they're just gonna double down on these bad policies. So, why would they make a 10 year or a 15 year multi billion dollar investment when people are coming out saying, We're coming after you? Yep. It does, you know, show me the incentive. I will show you the outcome. That is Charlie Munger, and it, it's for every single thing. And in terms of energy, this is not just the next few months. This is a multi-multi-year disaster with massive human suffering. I mean, we're talking about already in Europe, just the implications, not just on on heating your homes, but on the food sector, bakeries, dairy, companies that massively use energy. They're not able to produce at the levels that they could because the energy is too arms. Yeah farms fertilizer
0: yeah i mean this is is. what happened in sri lanka right this is craziness it is craziness there is such a and i can only you know it's malthusian you have to hate humankind to go down this road because it's so clear what the ramifications are and if you stop right now and go okay 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 all right we, we i got it then you know that's one thing right but to Stay singly focused on this and continue while people are going to face starvation and freezing to death. It's uh, there's something deeply, deeply wrong with you.
1: So we've talked about this. This is what the Fed did, right? They stayed with that myopia. Mm -hmm. Same thing with covid. Now we have it with energy.
0: So when we come back, uh, I want to talk because Bank of America just said, buckle up. We're about to shed one hundred and seventy five thousand jobs. Every single month. I don't know if that's way out of line, you know, from a bad time or, you know, what that number means. I'll ask you in a second. Um, And then I also let's dogpile. Here's another bad decision. The federal government is going after the gig economy and you can't do that to America. I mean, but they are, but they are. So what does that mean? What job is going to be safe in America over the uh, over the next few years? Hey, I have an idea. We should all get together and uh, vote, vote. We've got to overwhelm the polls and send a very strong message. Enough is enough. Na, 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 na.